Hello and good afternoon. Uh, my name is Riley Tischer and my partner Daniela Cervantes and I will be discussing the construction of railroads of the 18th century in America versus the Eurotunnel of the English Channel. So here we have some general information about the Transcontinental Railroad. Um, the Pacific Railroad Act of 1862 established the Central Pacific and the Union Pacific Railroad companies to construct a railroad that would connect the United States from east to west coasts. For the next seven years, the two companies would compete with each other from Sacramento, California on one side to Omaha, Nebraska on the other. And they overcame many risks and difficult decisions and finally met on May 10th, 1869 in Promontory, Utah. The purpose for this transcontinental railroad was the need for easier transportation of products, services, and uh, people. Uh, this allowed more westward expansion between the two coasts and um, the Transcontinental Railroad had a fairly large and significant impact on how Americans perceived their country, serving as a symbol of America's growth and industrial power and a source of confidence that inspired them to pursue even more ambitious goals. With the understanding that the Transcontinental Railroad was led by two different companies, um, one from the east and one from the west, and um, the west side being the Central Pacific and the east side being the Union Pacific Railroad Company, I will be presenting the Union Pacific side. So here are some construction methods used by the Union Pacific Railroad, and this section of the railroad stretched from Omaha, Nebraska, all the way to Promontory, Utah. So this was considered as the eastern side of the railroad. Um, workers individually and manually by hand uh, would install rails of the railroads. They would drive spikes into mountains and fill the holes with black powder and blast through the rock inch by inch using dynamite. Um, hand carts were used to, to move the dirt from cuts to fills and uh, bridges were also very necessary and compatible um, for the railroad. And a certain method used for this, a certain type would be the house truss bridge. Um, the truss was ideal for the transcontinental railroad because it required less lumber, and its downward thrust required fewer substantial support members uh, than the horizontal thrust of an arch bridge. And because of the amount of people that were working together, and which was not very many, uh, it could be manufactured off-site, which was fairly convenient. And so the Union Pacific's bridge over the uh, Missouri River was an example of using house truss. The how truss was the first designed to incorporate metal with wood construction. Wood was plentiful along uh, much of the right way, and how's design made it possible for the competing railroads to build bridges and trestles quickly and out of readily available materials in order to get the trains moving and bring in revenue. The construction of the Central Pacific started with 21 Chinese workers in January 1864, then continued to expand to more workers. The Central Pacific was built by hand, and for the most part, workers had hand tools. Their jobs included everything from unskilled labor to blacksmithing, tunneling, and carpentry. There were many geographical obstacles that were faced across the entire line, but none of the obstacles compared to the Sierra Nevada mountain range in Sacramento. It required a lot of technology and sacrifice of many workers' lives in order to accomplish this railroad through this mountain range. There were uses of explosives throughout, throughout the mountain that allowed for the laying of tracks with the use of roller carts that were transported by 
taking out ties on the railroad and laying the wagons down on the roadbed to be passed down. The Central Pacific Railroad relied on the muscle of men yielding hammers and chisels to make the holes into which blasting powder was packed. And on-site blacksmith shop stayed busy, employed in restoring the tips of rapidly blunted tools. Separate from the ones setting down the rails, there would be workers who would be bolting down the rails together, then spiking, then ones who would be spiking over and over again. Many roundhouses were built throughout the construction of the railroad to aid in engines that needed service that would help the train submit through places like the Sierra. An important roundhouse was the Rockland that helped transport granite through the west. However, after the first 31 miles of the track, there were many different geographical obstacles where tunnels and bridges were necessary. Just like the Union Pacific, house design was used for the construction of the American River Bridge. The bridge helped pass over a huge expansion over the water. Many trestles were used for the bridges to add elevation and stability over the different environments, such as the rushing water from the American River. Additionally, the Central Pacific built a Dry Creek Bridge in wooden spans about 50 miles east of the Sacramento. It was an iconic bridge that helped trains move to collect revenue that would help pay for new and improving bridges since there wasn't much money to support the construction at the time. A total of 11 tunnel projects were needed for the completion of the Central Pacific, also that went through the many mountains. The granite and weather were difficult for a lot of the building of the tunnels, which prompted many laborers to be frozen and die. The Euro Tunnel is also called the Channel Tunnel, and it is the longest undersea tunnel in the world. It has a rail tunnel between England and France that runs between or beneath the English Channel. The channel is about 50 kilometers or 31 miles long, and it consists of three tunnels, two for rail traffic and a central tunnel for services and security. Although at first estimated at $3.6 billion, it came, the project came out to be way over budget at about $15 billion when it was finished. It is a rail tunnel that was chosen over proposals for a very long suspension bridge, a bridge and tunnel link, and a combined rail and road link. Today, the tunnel carries high-speed passenger trains, freight trains, and a shuttle service and vehicle transport designed so that passengers can use the shuttle and their vehicles to travel separately. It was revived in 1986 by the U United Kingdom and France. It has also been used for trade and it helps with 54% of Belgium, France, and Germany's trade industries. It has allowed for many cities across Europe to be connected. It has played a part in changing public attitudes towards railways. While for many years, it has also been declining importance and helped to spark a railway renaissance across the UK. It is possible to travel to Europe without flying because of this Eurotunnel. It helps travelers reduce the cost of travel, carbon footprint, and over 4.5 million UK tourists that visit Europe use the Channel Tunnel per year, which helps support leisure and hospitality, food and drink, and service sectors in the countries that they visit with the Euro Channel. Here we have some construction methods for the Euro Tunnel. Um, one includes digging. Digging of the Channel Tunnel began simultaneously from the British and the French coasts, with the finished tunnel meeting in the middle. 
So on the British side, the digging began near the Shakespeare Cliff outside of Dover, and the French side began near the village of Sangat. Another method used to construct the Eurotunnel includes digging done by huge tunnel boring machines, also known as TBMs. Uh, they cut through the chalk, collected the debris, and transported the debris behind it using conveyor belts. And cast iron and concrete segments were used to align the material dur during tunnel construction using TBM. Uh, NATM, which was the new Austrian tunneling method, was used for making Castle Hill tunnels, portals, shafts, and pumping stations during the construction of the Eurotunnel. Here we have a side-by-side -side comparison of the construction equipment used by the Transcontinental and the Eurotunnel. Uh, the Transcontinental was majority constructed by hand using uh, sledgehammers, drills, and hand tools the workers were access to in order to place the rails down. Uh, they would also set down their own spikes for the railroads. Bridges and tunnels were also made so that the railroad was able to stretch from, uh, stretch across certain terrains as well. Um, sometimes people had access to steam shovels on the Union Pacific side, and horses or mules were used to haul larger loads of um, rubble and earth. Um, dynamite was also an effective way to blast through rock. The Eurotunnel needed 13,000 skilled and unskilled workers to be hired and housed in order to support the construction of it. On the British side, they began digging near Shakespeare Cliff outside of Dover, and the French side began near the village of Sandgate. The digging was done by a tunnel known as TBMs, which cut through the chalk, collected the debris, and transported the debris behind it using conveyor belts. The debris, also known as spoil, would be hauled up to the surface via railroad wagons or mixed with water and pumped out through a pipeline. The TBMs bore through the chalk and the sides of the newly dug channel had to be lined with concrete. The concrete lining had to be the concrete lining was to help the tunnel withstand the intense pressure from above as well as to help waterproof the tunnel. Road headers were also used as an excavation tool for large chambers. One of the difficult tasks with the channel project was making sure that both the British side of the tunnel and the French side met up in the middle. With this, special lasers and sur surveying equipment were used. Additionally, crossover tunnels, land tunnels from the coast to the terminals, piston relief ducts, electrical systems, fireproof doors, ventilation system, and train tracks had to be added. The top-down construction method was also used where space was limited. It helped to construct the tunnels and terminal roofs at the end of the channel tunnel. So here we have the transcontinental project workforce. Because these were two different companies, they were able to employ different workers from each side. So the Union Pacific had around 8,000 Irish, German, and Italian laborers, um, former Union and Confederate soldiers, and also freed slaves. Uh, with the thousands of workers that contributed to the construction of the railroad, um, both of the companies were very neglectful and exploited all of the workers for their hard work. Um, hundreds died from injuries, weather, or starvation. They had to deal with Native American tribes who were forced to leave their land so they were also victims of this 
construction project. Um, some disputes even involved violent, violence and death. Um, overall, the workers received no compensation for their deeds and should have been shown the appreciation for the tremendous amount of back-breaking labor. For the workforce of the Central Pacific, there was a labor shortage that jeopardized the railroad's completion. A lot of officials believe that Irishmen were inclined to spend their wages on irrelevant things and that Chinese workers were unreliable. However, due to the critical shortage, there was a reconsideration of hiring Chinese because many of because many Chinese immigrants were coming to California, which helped with the supply of workers. Chinese workers were the only ones who were willing to do such hazardous and dangerous work with the railroad. Several thousand Chinese men signed up by the end of the year of the design of the construction to help. The Chinese workers were very impressive as they were punctual, willing, and well-behaved. However, they did receive low wages and the work environments weren't the best. However, they were praised by their work effort and how they were able to rail or how they were able to lay so much rail in so little time. So now I would like to identify the failures and challenges of the Transcontinental Project. Um, the Central Pacific Railroad Company really struggled with high altitudes of the varying terrain of the West Coast Rocky Mountains. Um, this resulted in a lot of injuries, um, death, and starvation of the workers uh, working on that section of the railroad. They were lacking massive funds. Uh, over 10,000 Chinese workers from the Central Pacific Railroad side were never paid. Uh, for the work that they contributed, and on the Union Pacific side, uh, they had to lay off hundreds of workers because they simply did not have the money to pay them, uh, and so that pushed the Union Pacific 11 months behind at one point in 1863. Um, the exploitation of construction workers was a serious issue. Um, thousands of the workers never got what they earned, and so a Equal Workers' Rights Act should have been in place. Um, as a result of the mistreatment of the workers, organized labor shortages uh, were held by the workers. Um, they would go on strike and just not show up for work. And another big thing was the violence between Native Americans and the workers. Um, the Transcontinental Railroad forced uh, Native Americans to move out of their uh, territories. And of course, they were not happy with that. So they had to violently defend their homes, which... Uh, put the workers' lives at stake. So these were some of the failures, and um, they should have been recognized along with uh, solved by higher officials. So here we have the false work of the Union and Central Pacific Railroad Companies. Um, the Union was best known for the Big Fill and the Big Trestle, which were temporary fills of earthly sentiment that were filled in a ravine where the rails would have to be placed. Uh, the Big Trestle was a very flimsy bridge built in just 35 days. This served as a temporary measure, so in a sense, this was considered as the false work used until something more stable could be built. Uh, this could fall under the categories of scaffolding or trenching. The Eurotunnel used a variety of different shoring for its false work. 
more so uses form work but when it came to false work two of the examples include horizontal shoring and tunnel lagging horizontal sh shoring was used to provide temporary support to the party walls of the different sides of the tunnel so that it didn't come crashing down on the workers and provided the support it needed when using the TBMs to extract the part of the earth that was taken out for the tunnel, as well as tunnel lagging, which was which used the structural material, oftentimes wood, that spanned the difference between the spars at the excavation site and the steel spars connected and provided temporary ground support as a safety measure during the tunneling. It was, the lagging was installed horizontally between the vertical insta installed spars. And it was very, it was just an overall very important aspect for the drilling and the tunneling project of the Euro tunnel. So here we have the effects and forces of nature that the two companies from the Transcontinental Railroad had to undergo, and the Eurotunnel as well. Um, the Union Pacific was known for having to deal with seasonal weather of Nebraska and Wyoming. Uh, so typical Midwestern climate included big, big extremes between the four seasons, uh, which were really hot summers and very cold winters. The Western region is a drier than the Eastern side, which tend to, tends to be more humid, but temperatures were relatively consistent throughout the entire state, which was not that bad. Uh, Wyoming has really high altitudes, so the terrain for um, the Union Pacific was extremely difficult for them to overcome, and definitely in the western side they had to deal with uh, Native American territories. The Central Pacific encountered a lot of effects and forces of nature. The requirements of building the railroad resulted in a big devastation of the forest for the American West because large amounts of lumber were needed for the railroad ties and fuel and shelter for workers who needed to either cook or, or stay w warm during, you know, year round. And lots of snow sheds were made in order to protect the exposed tracks during the winter months in the mountains, such as the Sierra Nevada. And they were always being constructed or dismantled as the progression of the railroad was continuing. And additionally, support beams for the tunnels and bridges were needed to protect the workers and the trains. So overall, just large amounts of wood was needed in order to build this railroad, which had a big effect on the nature across the country. Finally, we have the Eurotunnel. Um... The climate and weather over the English Channel is highly variable, often but especially from October to April. It's very cloudy, chilly, and wet, along with strong winds and poor visibility. Um, when it comes down to the hydrology, uh, tides in the English Channel are generally pretty strong, especially in the Strait of Dover, and may be visualized as an oscillation. Geology is a big uh, concept, and the physiography of the channel has been shaped by the effect upon its rock strata. Uh, with their varying degrees of hardness um, of such forces as weathering and erosion. When much of the area was dry land previously, uh, the sea level changed and the contemporary erosion and deposition of the marine currents. Overall, we can see a great difference in the way the transcontinental was designed and created and built compared to the Eurotunnel. And we can see this between the different time frames. 
because first off, the use of technology has advanced between those time periods. A lot of what was used during the transcontinental period was a lot of handmade work. But when it came to the Eurotunnel, there was lots of new technology such as TBMs and lasering and different kinds of surveying. And because of this new technology, it has really shortened the time span of the construction of these different tunnels and railroads. Additionally, the technology has created safer working environments because as we can see, during the transcontinental era, there were a lot of laborers who who would die from the dangerous and hazardous work environments and the environmental condition conditions. However, we have been able to predict those circumstances and help a lot more workers to prevent such scenarios. Um, and overall, there has been more modernized infrastructure within these new buildings and constructions that has been carried on from the building, the construction of the Eurotunnel until now. So with that being said, thank you for listening to our presentation and we hope you learned a lot between these two comparisons.